James, and we're going to be in James for a while. In the Pew Bible, it's page 1011, 1011. It comes just after the book of Hebrews. It is the first book in the collection we call the General Epistles. Right after it will be the letters from Peter and John. We're going to read the first two verses of our ser- in our sermon text today. And then we'll start into this book today and next week and most of the rest of the year. Would you read to me, read with me, sorry, the word of God from James chapter 1, first two verses. This is God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Let's pray. Father, would you bless the reading and the preaching of your words today? Holy Spirit, would you use this text to help us finish the race you've called us to, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, which was us, endured the cross and despised its shame, who sits now at your right hand interceding for us. Help us to be faithful to the end of our race through the book of James this year. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So I have a question for you to start our sermon off today. Here's my question. What's the difference between happiness and joy? What's the difference between happiness and joy? Are those two things, are those two words for the same thing? Are they completely different and not even related? Do they have some areas where maybe they overlap, but they're still distinct and not quite the same thing? What is the difference between happiness and joy? And I'm asking the question, I don't mean to ask it generally, like what would the average American on the street say? I'm asking you guys. So I'm expecting an answer that comes back from a biblical worldview, right? From someone who's been listening to the Word of God and being informed in the way they think and feel and act by Scripture. What would you say the difference between happiness and joy is? We need to be thinking about that. That will help us with James. Here's why I think it's an important question, because we're beginning a sermon series in James. We're going to take a long, slow, deep soak. I've already said we're spending most of the rest of the year in James. This will be the central text in the life of our church this year. We're going to do about more or less the first half of it before the summer. We're going to spend the summer in the book of Psalms, because we always do that. We always want to be in Psalms sometime during the year. It's too important of a book. And then we're going to do the more or less second half of James in the fall after the summer. And as James just told us in its first few verses, as we take this long, slow, deep soak, it's a book written by one of Jesus' servants to God's people who are living in exile. And he's saying, Christian life is one of joy. Now look at verse 2. We just read verse 1. Verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, that's the beginning of a sentence, it's not the full sentence. James is a book that's about joy, consider it all joy, written by a servant of Christ to God's people in exile, teaching them about how to live life. So if that's the case, if it's about joy, then we should probably understand the difference between happiness and joy. 
that's going to help us frame this sermon in this book. And so this sermon will not be a typical sermon this morning. This is an introductory, here, introduction to James, introduction to the series sermon. Usually we just take a book or a big chunk of scripture and we work through it one passage at a time in order to hear the whole thing. We're, we'll start that next week. This week we're introducing, like we did with Jonah, we're having an introductory sermon. Let's get to know James a little bit. Let's take the 10,000-foot view and find out more about what James is like before we start going through it one passage at a time now for the rest of the year. If you've been in one of our Equip You workshops before on how to do Bible study, right? If you use our Bible study guide in your growth group, and I hope you are, this is familiar ground to you. This is what we call, when we do Bible study, we call this a book survey. It's what we do before we do a study in a book of the Bible. It's a book survey. Before you go deep in the Bible or any big portion of it, you survey it. You look at its themes. You look at its theology. You look at its structure. You look at its canonical or biblical context. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're doing kind of a book survey like you would before you, if you were going to study James. We're only going to do a little bit of that this morning because it's too much to do in one sermon. We're only going to have one sermon for it. It's not going to be exhaustive, but we're going to touch on those things in turn, some themes, some theology, some structure, some context, using what James gives us in its opening two verses as our framework, which means the sermon will be in three parts, which you can see in your bulletin outline this morning. We're going to start with the idea of servant and how servant shows us James and how it goes with Paul. Then we're going to move on to the idea of diaspora, the word diaspora or exile, and how that lines up James with Peter. And then we're going to look at the idea of joy and trials and how that ties us into the book of Acts. Got that? So we're going to, James is going to be going with Paul, Peter, and Acts. And that's why our call to worship was from Peter, and our confession was from Paul, and our declaration was from Acts. It's mirroring what we're doing in the text of the sermon today. So get back to our opening question. Okay, here's where we're headed. What is the difference between happiness and joy? So I would suggest to you that those two ideas are distinct and that they're not the same thing, but they do overlap just a little bit here and there. They touch each other, but they're two different things. And I think language is important, and we need to be careful with the words that we use and how we use them, because when we're more precise in language, that helps us be more precise in what we think and in how we feel and in how we act, because words mean things. They matter. Christian discipleship is, in some ways, largely a matter of words, right? It's hearing them and then living them. So we want to be precise in them. Let's, preci let's be a little precise in how we understand happiness and joy and how they're distinct but overlap a little bit. I'm going to give you two sets of three words. So three words for happiness and three words for joy that kind of compare contrast. So here are my three words for happiness. Happiness is variable, situational, and emotional. It's variable. Happiness comes and goes. You're not always happy. I am sometimes happy, but not often. I, I like being sad. I think it's fun. I have a melancholy disposition. Drives some of my family nuts. Let's just sit and be sad for a while, right? Happiness comes and goes. It's variable. Sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. Happiness is situational. It's situational. It depends. It's our response to some outside circumstance or something that happens, right? That went really well, so I'm happy. And it's emotional. It's a feeling in us. 
Happiness is variable, situational, and emotional. And it's a good gift from God when we have it. It's to be enjoyed as a gift of grace from his hand. That's happiness. Here's what I would say joy is. Here are my three words. Joy is stable, internal, and deliberate. It's stable. Joy can be a constant in life. Maybe even ought to be. It doesn't wax and wane. It's stable. It's internal. It depends not on a situation in the world, but on an internal condition of the soul. And it it is deliberate. I would say joy is a disciplined orientation of the heart. It is a choice that actually originates in the will, not in the emotions. It's not a feeling. It's a deliberate choice of the will. And it is also a gift from God. But one difference is happiness is a gift from God. We enjoy it when we have it. But it's variable. Joy is a gift from God that is intended to be a regular, normal part of Christian discipleship, of Christian life. It doesn't come and go. It's a gift from God that's supposed to stay. So joy and happiness are actually quite distinct. They overlap sometimes in that having joy can also make you happy. And that's good. But joy is a basic component of Christian life, and happiness is a welcome bonus, if that helps you, right? Joy is a consistent, necessary part of Christian life, and happiness is a nice bonus on top. You do have to have the necessary component and be glad and rejoice when you have the bonus. So we want to make sure we're using our words carefully and we understand them rightly. Right? Sometimes I hear Christians say things like, I just don't have joy. And I think the immediate follow-up question might be, do you mean you're not happy? Because that's, everybody has that. Or do you mean that you're lacking a basic component of Christian life? Right? And then how we respond is very different depending on the answer. Do you mean you're just not happy right now? I'm sorry. We can talk about that. You're lacking a basic component in Christian life? We need to do some discipleship to help you grow in Christ to have joy because it is a stable, normal part of Christian life. So the book of James is aiming at that. So let's survey the book just a little bit and see how James intends to aim at that. We can see it in the first few verses. He's setting up where he's headed. So look at the very first clause of the very first verse of the book. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that kind of introduction to a book. We say, oh, this is an epistolatory greeting, right? This is how a letter starts in the Bible. When combined with the two statement that comes right after it, oh, I see, this is from James to the 12 tribes who've been scattered in the exile. So we're going to read some kind of letter. That gives us a genre expectation. This is what kind of text this is. It's an epistle, right? And there are lots of books in the Bible that kind of start this way. It's not a poem. It's not a story. It's a letter. And we say, oh, I've heard this before, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of letters that start kind of like this. And so I'm immediately thinking of other letters. And in fact, a whole other letter collection in the New Testament that has letters that start like Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, like Romans starts. Or Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, like Philippians starts. So James, a servant of Christ Jesus, then immediately makes me think, oh, I must be in a different letter collection. Because every letter I've seen so far starts with Paul. Except Hebrews, which is written by Paul, but anonymous. 
Yeah, I like that. I got a couple. That's a good job. Thanks for paying attention. I do think it's written by Paul. And then we get to James. And it's like, oh, I must be in a new spot, right? All of these other 14 letters, they're from Paul. Now I'm in a group of seven letters that are from other people that we call the general or Catholic epistles, right? Catholic in the sense of universal. James, the Peter letters, the John letters, and Jude. And actually, we're going to have an entire Christian formation class that surveys all of them that we're going to start next week. So you'll want to show up for that, because I'm not going to tell you everything in a survey of James in this sermon, but we are going to cover it again in Christian formation. So you have to go to both to get all of it, right? It's a required attendance now. Sorry, too bad. Seems like a conspiracy. I don't know how it happened. But you have to go to both to get the entire survey. So James' servant is telling us there's a correspondence between this letter and some of these other earlier letters from Paul. So I want to look at an earlier letter from Paul, who is also a servant, who's writing the same kind of thing that deals with some of the language and theology we've seen in James. I want to look at the letter to the Philippians. We studied that together, I think, back in the fall of 2017. And like James, Philippians deals with joy, Christian joy, related to and as a basic component of Christian discipleship. But what we said then about Philippians is still true. The book hasn't changed since 2017, so that's the same message. And what we said then was, if you remember, Philippians is not about joy. That is not the theme of Philippians. It's the tone of Philippians. The whole book is infused. It uses the root of the word joy 32 times in that short book. It is infused with joy, but that's not its theme. It's not what it's about. It's about something else. And the other thing that it's about is the reason that it's full of joy. This is the theme of Philippians. If you recall from that sermon series, it is unity, in other words, unity in the church, through humility in the character and conduct of each Christian, unto the gospel unity through humility unto the gospel that's what philippians is about that's why it's so joyful because as the church is unified as each person in the church exemplifies the humility of christ the gospel goes forward and so paul is off the charts excited because of what happens when the church has unity through humility that's joy we had two sentences that you might remember that further tease out the message, and they were these. They used to be on the wall of the education hallway, and they, they are this. Two sentences, the message of Philippians is, you are more important than I am. You are more important than I am, and the gospel matters more than anything. That's the theme of the message of Philippians. You are more important than I am, and the gospel matters more than anything, and that's why it's suffused with joy from one end to the other. But it's a book about the gospel. Now let's consider the declaration of grace. That we actually it was the time the call to confession. Sorry, from our call to confession this morning, Philippians three seven through eleven. And you can turn there quickly in your Bibles if you want to look at it again. We're going to look at that particular text where it talks about joy as a key component of Christian discipleship. If you start in verse 7 or verse 8 and we look at it, we're going to hear, look at the text, you hear a deliberate decision of the will. It's deliberate. I count everything as loss so that I may gain Christ. Right? That's a decision deliberate of the will. It's what I've decided to do through the work of the Holy Spirit. We hear something that depends on what is internal and inside and permanent, not on what is external and circumstantial. 
right? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that comes up from faith. That's internal. And we heard something that's stable. Paul is single-minded in his pursuit of Christian discipleship, to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings to attain the resurrection of the dead. Stable, single-minded purpose. That's joy. It's stable, it's internal, and it's deliberate. And how do we know it comes under the rubric of joy? Well, that's the structure of the passage, right? The head verse of this chunk of Philippians we're reading starts in chapter 3, verse 1. Look at 3, verse 1. Here's the heading, ver- heading, heading of the paragraph. As Paul always writes in an organized fashion, almost always has his main idea first. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. The command to rejoice here is fulfilled by not letting people trick us into trusting in what I do to save me but to understand that the stable, internal, and deliberate rejection of anything from the flesh or anything from the world that is not Christ, that is what I'm pursuing. To know Jesus and be found in him and share in his sufferings, notice that, and his resurrection. Joy comes through trials, testing, and suffering because those lead you straight to Jesus and resurrection life in him. That's Paul's argument in Philippians 3. I'm willing to bet that's been your experience in life too. If you've been around in this world for any amount of time, you've had a trial or two or ten or two dozen. You've been tempted by the devil. Of that, I'm sure, has already happened today. You have suffered in this broken world because it's just a broken place under the curse of sin and death. And when you reflect, reflect back on those times of temptation and trial and hardship. I hope you're looking at them through the lens of Scripture, right? This is a lens through which we understand the world. I hope you look at those times through this lens. If you do, you'll see that you learned, I will be willing to bet, you learned more about Jesus during the trial than when you were at ease and comfortable, right? You grew more in your maturity and faith because of your suffering than you did when the sun was shining on you. That is joy. That's what the Bible calls joy because it's pointing and pushing and propelling you toward Jesus. Right? You know what I'm talking about. We've all done that. Me too. I don't learn much when I just get to sit on the couch being a couch potato. My number two top commercial for Super Bowl entertainment ads was the couch potato commercial, right? Number one was the Arnold Schwarzenegger unable to pronounce the word neighbor. That was awesome. But number two was the couch potato. I learn nothing being a couch potato. But I grow in faith when I have to exercise those muscles because something's going on. Right? Think about a tree. Tree roots have to be strong and deep. So a tree is well-nourished, Psalms 1 uses this metaphor, to stand up and live their long lives. Do you know what helps trees develop deep roots? What helps trees put roots down? What makes trees go have roots that go deep so they're well-nourished and well-supported and strong to live a long time? You know what the number one thing is? Wind. Wind. 
When trees are subject to strong winds that push them and move them and make them sway, they develop stronger tree muscles. And they put down much deeper roots because they learn they need them to stay alive. So it's not still air that makes a tree strong. It's strong wind, which to a tree then, the Bible would say, is joy. Because that leads that tree to a strong, well-nourished, long-standing, fruitful kind of life. So Paul says, I count everything as loss to pursue Jesus. I consider it joy when I'm under trial because joy is not emotional, it's not variable, and it's not situational. That's happiness, which is a good gift, but comes and goes. And not an integral part of Christian life, but an el- a welcome bonus. Joy is stable, an internal and deliberate pursuit of Jesus Christ to be like him. So you see, James and Paul are actually talking about the same kind of thing. They're just using different, slightly different language from a slightly different perspective, making it a little bit of a different point. You're going to see that happen again. James and Paul talking about the same kinds of things, using slightly different terms and making slightly different points, but having the same end. James and Paul are both talking about the application of the gospel to the everyday life of the believer. Both the Pauline epistles and the general epistles are necessary for the Christian to be mature and fully formed in our Christian discipleship. We need all of Scripture to shape us to be like Jesus, both James and Paul. So let's look at the second clause. That's James and Paul. Look at the second clause in the first verse. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That word dispersion you could also translate as diaspora, and it means scattering. It means scattering. These are people who are away from home. They're in exile. First Peter, we studied that together in 2019, it was written to the same kind of people. They're in exile, they're away from home, they're longing for home like us, waiting for the new Jerusalem. And like James and Paul, Peter also talks about joy in similar ways if you remember our call to worship. You can turn to First Peter quickly if you want, look at chapter 1 again. Look at verse 6, in this you rejoice. What is the this? It's the living hope, the imperishable inheritance, the coming salvation that will be yours when Christ comes back to get us. And all of that is joy. In this we rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, being refined by fire, so your faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, in Peter, happiness is a good gift from God when we have it. But it's variable, situational, and emotional. Joy is integral to the Christian life, which comes from knowing and growing and becoming more like Christ through various trials. So take the other side of the coin from Peter's argument. No trials, no tests, no suffering, just easy living. So no praise, no glory, and no honor for Jesus. And no joy for you. That's how integral joy is. James introduces this idea. Peter, first Peter is going to develop it further. Anything that gets me and my church closer to Jesus 
That's joy. It's a stable, internal, deliberate choice of the will. Anything that gets me closer to Jesus, I will count that joy. That's what James is saying. Anything that gets you closer to Jesus, I will count that joy, whether or not it's happiness. That's what the Bible's teaching. A logical next question might be, what's a trial? So what's a trial? Trials of various kinds. What is that? We're going to talk about that more in a week or two. I think it's next week. But let's give you a couple quick examples right now. Turn back to the book of James, if you're not there already, chapter 1, and then start flipping through. Hopefully you got the email on Friday and you've read the book in its entirety in the last few days. Trials that build joy for the maturity of the church and the glory of God can be temptation by evil desires, can be hearing the Bible's teaching without doing it, can be caring more about right religious profession instead of right religious action and taking care of the hopeless and the helpless like the orphan and the widow. Trials can be showing favoritism inside the boundaries of the church and its relationships. Trials can be having faith that does nothing, right? Sit on your bottom faith. Faith, a trial could be having an untamed tongue. A trial could be choosing to live by wisdom from the world instead of wisdom that comes from God and his word. A trial could be selfishness. It could be greed. It could be prosperity. It could be being rich. It could be being impatient. I just want Jesus' kingdom to come and I'm not going to do anything but sit here until it does. Those are the kinds of trials James is concerned about. Did you recognize those things? Right? That's the whole rest of the book. Those are the trials he's talking about. They relate to the three S's we learned last year in 1 John. Every one of the general epistles deals with three S's, right? They're all concerned. Each of the seven general epistles is be faithful to the end. Be faithful to the end. Keep running. Keep running. Don't give up. And they lead us right into the seven letters of Revelation, which all say overcome, 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 overcome. Don't give up, church. Keep going. It's worth it. And we have to persevere through three S's in the general epistles. If you remember them from 1 John, they are sin, suffering, and serpents or false teachers who want to lead you astray. So each of the seven general epistles will deal with one or more of those themes. James introduces all of them. We'll see that more in the Christian formation class that surveys the general epistles. Those are the trials he's talking about. That's the whole rest of the book. Here they are, and here's how you consider them joy and persevere through them to maturity. That's the book of James. So James and Paul and Peter have all have the same gospel in mind. They all have the same goals in mind. They're just using different language and approaching them differently and taking different angles on some of the same kinds of points. Maturing in Christ, what we call here steps to the right steps toward Jesus of Christian discipleship, glorifying God and growing mature in him. So that's how James goes with Paul, how he goes with Peter. Now one more, how he goes with Acts. Acts. So let's look at verse 2. This ties us into Acts. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And again, that's the beginning of a sentence. It's not the full sentence, but it is the main idea of the sentence. The main verb is count it or consider it all joy. So we've got the main idea. Scholars who think about how the New Testament is put together, right? They think about the compass. I don't know if you guys think about this. This It's one of my favorite things to think about. How is the Bible put together and why are these books in this order and given to me this way? 
What is the composition of the New Testament? How does it work? Scholars who think about that often call Acts, the book of Acts, the glue that holds the entire New Testament together. They would say Acts is the glue that holds the entire New Testament together. Here's why they say that. Acts grabs the Gospels on one side and continues their story. As the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out to the nations, here's the story of the church overcoming the world. It's the book of Acts and its missionary journeys. But then Acts also propels us this way, because following Acts, we have 21 letters that take the gospel and apply it to the ordinary, everyday life of the church. That's what the letters do. How do you live out that gospel that's going forward to overcome the world in your normal, everyday life, in trials and temptations, in good times and bad 21 letters of how to do that. So Acts is the context. Every one of those letters leans on Acts. If you want to know what's going on with the people in the letter, you're supposed to have read Acts. There's your context. So you want to know about Philippians? Remember what we did to set up the book of Philippians? We studied Acts chapter 16, because that's where Paul was in Philippi. That's the context for the letter. Every letter works that way. And then Acts also propels us on into the book of Revelation, anticipating the final consummation of the kingdom of God. So it's the glue that holds the New Testament together. That's the book of Acts. And as Acts holds the New Testament together, there are two threads that hold the book of Acts together. Right? Sometimes we talk about threads and themes as they weave their way through the Bible. There are two in Acts that hold it together. Two things that are always together and always increasing and multiplying. The word of God multiplies and increases in the book of Acts. And then men and women come to Christ and become Christians. And then the church multiplies and increases. And as the church multiplies and increases, then the word goes out further and multiplies and increases. And when that happens, men and women come to Christ. And then the church multiplies and increases. And when the church multiplies and increases, then the word of God goes out. And more men and women become Christians. And the church multiplies and increases. And then the word of... You see the pattern? As the word of God and the church of God multiply and increase, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. That's the book of Acts. And on one of Paul's mission trips, we see how one of the themes, the sub-themes that goes with it is often how this works in Acts is the gospel goes forward, the word multiplies, and the church grows strong just like the trees in the wind. Not when life is good, but when there's a strong wind. This happens under trial and persecution almost all the time. In Acts 13, when Paul is on one of his mission trips, we read this. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is a quote, what the this is, is Paul has just quoted Isaiah to teach them about who Jesus is. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying. The word of the Lord, as many of them as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading, that's this theme, multiplying throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they just went on to Iconium. And there the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So the word multiplies. Gentiles become Christians. They glorify and worship God. And then what happens? Persecution comes. And then what? Oh, they quit and go home. 
right? Because that's how we do missions. Oh, that was hard. I guess I'll just go back to being a couch potato. That, that, that was painful. I got hurt doing that. Is that how Christian life works? Is that how mission, is that how making disciples happens? Oh, that was hard, so I quit. No. They just go on to the next town. We're not finished. We're not done. The word of God multiplies. The church multiplies. And through trial and persecution, it goes even further. That's the Christian response to the ordinary and the extraordinary trials of life that we will encounter when we follow Jesus and make disciples. Stable. It's joy. It doesn't vary. Internal. It doesn't depend on what's happening to me. It depends on the condition of my soul. And deliberate is a decision of the will. I choose to consider that joy because it's pushing me and propelling me toward Jesus and God willing the people around me too. They will grow, they will mature for God's glory as I persevere through the trial and they get to watch me do it. Right? Good things are coming and it's joy. And good things are coming because it's hard. It's a strong wind. And that's what leads to deep roots. So that's just a little bit of an introduction. It's a survey of the book of James. We're going to do more in the Christian formation class in the coming weeks. So for now, I just want us to consider for a moment, what do these first two verses ask us to do? What is our commission? Here's your commission. This is going to be a little unusual, and it will be different than the last few we've had from the book of Jonah, because this is not the book of Jonah anymore. Here's what I would like you to do. Here's what I think this text would like us to do in the coming week. I want you to think about and remember a time of trial and testing. Maybe you can remember one really big one. Maybe you remember a couple of small ones in sequence. Times when you were trialed and tested in the way that James talks about. Often when we, those come to us, our temptation is to hear the word of God speaking to us. Here's what's true about what's going on, right? And then ignore it and not be doers of the word. That's going to come up in about three or four weeks. That's not us. We're not like that here. This is not a church that hears the word of God and does nothing. This is a church that hears the word of God and does what it says. So here's a way to hear and do this week. Happiness and joy are both gifts from God, but only one is necessary for Christian life. So let's meditate on that one, right? Let's meditate on joy this week. This is going to be your commission. The American culture you live in throws an unending amount of resources at attempts to be happy. At attempts to be happy. But that's not the same as joy. So let's start first by putting off. Let's not be fooled by the marketing companies that need, like the Super Bowl commercial people, that need you to be unhappy. So you buy stuff. Right? That unhappiness in that way drives our economy. We need you to be discontent and unhappy, so you try to solve that by buying things. Don't be fooled by that. That will not, that will not mature you in Christ. Don't be fooled by false teachers who pretend to preach the gospel and tell you you can have your, quote, best life now. That's a lie. They want you to be unhappy so that they'll give, you give them their money. You give them your money. There we go. Right? They want your money, and they need you to be unhappy and trying to get your best life now. 
Those are false teachers. Don't be fooled by them. Don't be fooled by the pharmaceutical companies and the psychotherapy regime, regimes that build their businesses on perennial unhappiness and discontentment and you feeling bad. Right? Because if you, they actually cured you, if you think about this, right? If they actually cured you, their business model would collapse. And that is called a conflict of interest, right? If you get better, they go out of business. So what do you think they're going to preference? Don't be fooled by the pharmaceutical companies that want to sell you a pill. There's psychotherapy regimes that want you to talk your way to happiness. America relentlessly pursues happiness, right? What is this the land of? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we're all about here. I mean, the original language of the, of the Declaration it meant something a little different, but it's not that different. We want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Make more, do more, have more, get more. Remember that sermon? Make more, do more, have more, get more. Buy something. Believe something, even if it's not true. Take a pill. By all means, feel no pain. Suffer no trials. Don't worry. Be happy now. I won't sing anymore. It's a song from the 80s. I couldn't help myself. That's America. Don't be fooled by what the country around you is telling you. They're wrong. The Bible says, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you suffer trials of various kinds. Because when that happens, that means you're pursuing Jesus if you're suffering for him. When you've counted all things in the world as loss, when you know you have living hope and imperishable inheritance and coming salvation, when the word of God is multiplying and the church of God is multiplying by the advancing work of the Spirit for the glory of God. Happiness is variable, situational, and emotional. We're pursuing Jesus here and persevering in faith that is stable, internal, and deliberate. We're pursuing joy. That's a basic component of Christian discipleship, and James is going to be teaching us how to do that. So here's what I suggest. That was a lot of preamble to our commission, wasn't it? So now we finally got into the commission. Here's what I would suggest you do this week from this text. Practice the spiritual discipline of journaling. Of journaling, that means writing. Some of you already do this. Some of you are going, uh-uh. Just trust me. Try it this week. Pursue the spiritual discipline of journaling. Reflect on for at least 30 minutes. I'm going to say it'll probably, if you're older like me, right, you've had more trials. If you're younger, maybe you've had less. You're going to probably need at least an hour. Reflect back on some of the hardest things in life. One trial or several small ones. And then journal about how God has faithfully, graciously, and mercifully matured you in Christ through that. I suggest you do it for not one that you're in now, but for one that's in the past. Being finite creatures, we see things in the rearview mirror much more clearly than we see them at the sides, right? You'll probably be able to see this better from a trial from the past. Do it for the present too, if you need to. And journal about how God has graciously, faithfully, mercifully taught you about Jesus in that trial and consider how you would be a different person if you hadn't gone through it. And then close your time of journaling with just a prayer of thanksgiving. Use a psalm. Use one of the thanksgiving psalms and thank God that he's heard you and delivered you in Christ. That's your commission. Spend 30 to 60 minutes journaling about how God has matured you through trial this week.
Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for a text that is about joy, a whole book to teach us this basic component of Christian life. Use James to teach us one text at a time through the course of the year how to consider it joy when we overcome temptation, how to consider it joy when we get to do the Word of God, how to consider it joy when we don't practice favoritism, when we don't hear God's Word and not do what it says, when we bridle our tongue and use it as a wellspring of life, when we act in selflessness, when we forsake everything for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Teach us joy this year that we might look more like your son, that then others would hear and see the gospel in us and come to you in faith as well. We ask this in Christ's name. Thank you. Amen.